We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place and acknowledge that they never ceded sovereignty. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Hello and welcome to another episode of this AFL Life. I am your host, Alison Smirnoff. I've still got a little bit of a cold, but I'm battling away and I'm joined by my co-host, Rachel Hibbert. Hello. And Susan Cadman, who I think I passed my cold on to. How are you feeling? Yeah, thanks, Al. Uh, sharing is caring, as they say, and I've been enjoying, <laughs> I've been enjoying being laid up for the last few days, but um, let's see how we go getting through this. <laughs> cough if you need to (laughs) well it's some very big and interesting results uh from round five of aflw we are halfway yes halfway through the home and away season because it's still ridiculously short at 10 rounds round five there's a lot to talk about the first thing i want to talk about when we touched on this team last week but the GWS Giants losing to Adelaide by 96 points. It's a lot. Absolute credit to Adelaide as well. Uh, they put on what we like to call a clinic. Um, they even had a debut in there who absolutely shone. Um, the Giants didn't score a single point until the third quarter, I guess after Adelaide had scored over 10 goals. So, Complete credit to Adelaide, but we just want to know what's going on inside that GWS camp. And if there's anything at this AFL life we can do to help, really. Uh, yeah, Caddy, how did you feel seeing that scoreline? Um, it's It was definitely the cases of a very good team playing a very bad team, but one point is, oh, gosh, it's... Uh, that's a serious sign of something going wrong, I think, um, when you can't even score more than a point, even in a game. Um, I actually didn't watch the game. I can't remember what I was doing. But um, I, I didn't even see the score till the very end and I nearly fell off my chair. I did, never, I did not expect to see a score like that. How can a team who scored 70 points-ish the other week Mm. fail to score a point a few weeks later that just doesn't seem doesn't sit right really um yeah really really um alarm bells I think ringing as we already mentioned though but Mm. really really um brighter louder alarm bells after that loss when you look at the statistics like it was a fairly even matched game in terms of disposals and um, well, kicks and handballs, but I just went back and had a look at efficiency inside 50. Um, Adelaide had 45 inside 50s with 27 shots on goal, where GWS had 19 inside 50s with just two shots. So they had two chances to score on the weekend, which it, it blows my mind because there are so many talented players in that team um, again, credit to Adelaide for just stopping, you know, so many of those chances. But, yeah, just aim of the game is to get it through the sticks. Um, 
which they can't do at the moment. So very interested to see what happens next week at a home game versus Carlton well, this Saturday. So I think it'll be a real, really interesting game for GWS this week. Mm, yeah. The Adelaide player was um, Jess Waterhouse. Jess Waterhouse, thank Niece you. of Clive. <gasps> Please. Yes, the Frio player. Yes, niece wow. of Clive Waterhouse. Um, but when you look at the GWS results, and you also look at Sydney's results as the only expansion team to not have a win yet. I think it speaks to something larger than mm. just AFLW level. And I think it just goes back to the fact that New South Wales just does not have the pathways and the systems that the other states have had. And we really need to look at fast-tracking development and talent and and all of those pathways. I mean, they don't even really have a strong state league. So mature players, like they, they're having to entice players from interstate. We really need to fix that pathway. Otherwise, we are going to keep getting results like this. Mm. They have a pathway, but it's been severely diluted. And, yeah, the state league isn't quite there as the Quaffle is or the um, WAFLW. Um, or the VFL. So, gosh, yeah, Sydney of I actually it could be interesting to put on um stat hat and see uh who scored more points this season at the halfway point over <laughs> between Sydney and GWS. That'd be an interesting statistic. I'm sure Gemma might be good at that. I'm sure I could ask Gemma that. Yeah. <laughs> she would absolutely have that stat for me. <laughs> What do you think, Caddy? You spent a lot of time playing footy in Canberra. Uh, admittedly, that is not <laughs> close to Sydney. But is is football that far behind in in New South Wales, do you think? Or um I mean, I have it's been a while since I've been up since I've played footy up in Canberra, but um from when I was around I would definitely say, and actually, to be honest, even now I would say the Canberra League, the Canberra League is stronger than the Sydney League, and there's mm. a big issue. Mm. To me, that's already a big issue because Canberra is a very is a small, small place, and Sydney's massive. And to have more players drafted out of Canberra than Sydney, kind of screams something, I think. Um, and they had the Giants had invested in in the academy system pretty like years ago. Um, and not just within Canberra and Sydney, but also within some rural areas. Um, they might have been a bit too slow to jump onto the under-18s or under-16s pathways through those academy systems, but they are fighting against the players choosing to go to Melbourne to say, to chase their opportunities when it mm. comes along. The way. So um, quite often the players, like they might, kind of get a sniff of being decent and then they'll come down at 17, 18 straight down. They'll, they'll choose to come down to Victoria for the opportunities and the, I guess the the thinking is that it's better quality, but I don't know whether that is or not. Um, but the fact is that their talent pathways are small. They're, they are smaller. Like that's just a fact. Um, mm. But like you see, even the Giants men's team right now is struggling too and they've even yeah. built that. They even managed to get quite a lot of players up there and keep them around and build those structures around them to keep them there, but they're starting to sort of all fall away too. So mm. 
it actually feels like a bit more of a quad problem at the moment, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, like, also with, like, VFLW, like, I, I know the Giants, they they tried to play, like, a kind of exhibition-type series um, a year or two ago. I mean, that may have even been pre-COVID. I can't remember. I've got no concept of time anymore. And then they had a a deal with, was it Williamstown, to send their players to play for Williamstown in the VFLW. But it doesn't seem to have gone anywhere since then. And I know it's fraught now because we've had to play two AFLW seasons in one calendar year. But I just I just don't see how they're going to be able to fast track the development of the players that they do have in a short season. Yeah, they're definitely relying on but both the Swans Academy is the same. Both the, mm. both the Swans and the Giants are relying on their academies and their train-ons and their extended lists. They've only kind of got each other to help that building. You know, they play lots of games together and against each other and bring everyone in. But, yeah, you're right. Like this, the probably the um, consistent level of football that you need to sort of build for yourself to reach AFLW standards is, is probably not there. And you might see it a little bit at the Suns too, you know. They're having a bit of trouble as well in trying to build, like, what do they do there? I mean, the, the quaffle's a bit, like, there's the quaffle that exists as well. But, um, again, a little bit of a club problem as well. The men's having trouble kind of keeping players and for long periods. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I think there's... The women's game has the added complexity of the fact that we can't offer contracts for long periods of time, which therefore means that people don't necessarily buy into the club or they might not buy into the club because they don't know where they'll be in two years or one year. So I think there's a lot of different moving parts to the to, to the equation of what will help GWS, I guess, booster um, as at a club level and at an AFLW level um boost their success i suppose and i think gold coast have done a a a pretty good job over the last year of i guess um keeping that morale up and um i guess winning some games as well i think that's helped to do that you know footy is more fun when you're winning games and then everything kind of you know fits into place but i I guess this kind of answers the question of whether Tasmania would be getting an AFLW team anytime soon, doesn't it? Just the it just takes time and development mm. to to get this off the ground. Yep, lots of questions. I'm not sure that we've provided any answers. Um, <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> and we don't, I don't want to dwell on the Giants too much because we do we do love the Giants. We've got a few friends at the Giants um, and we yeah. really care. And if, like Hipper said, if there's anything that we can do to help, please t- let us know. Yeah. We'll talk We'll talk less if that's what you need. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something else I really, well, something I really loved about the weekend actually was the fact that we are playing games around the AFLM finals, final season and that we had games occurring during the footy festival and Melbourne had a, had a spring in its step this weekend because the granny was back in Melbourne. But I, ju- I actually just really loved the, the concept that games were being played in and amongst 
this huge AFLM event. What did, what did you guys think about that? I thought it was awesome. I thought I actually like thought it was really smart. Um, the timings of the games positioned around the key parts of the footy festival. Um, I know one of like the Collingwood Essendon game was free and the mm. other ones, you know, the ones at Punt Road you could walk past and watch if you, if you didn't want to pay. And it would have given so much exposure to AFLW um, like because people who just love footy just love being around the grand final just been mm. walking around the festival you know doesn't matter who you support they would have been wanting to get that atmosphere particularly after three years or however long it's been since we've had it in Melbourne mm. I thought it was really really great and I won um, I'm sure that it was a bit of an experience for the players as well they would have noticed a bit more of that kind of buzz in the air and bit of energy and you know people cheering as they're walking past even the ground so um I really loved it I thought it was a great initiative and I like I think it was awesome personally as a as a footy fan I thought it was great Mm. the exposure I think it provided just echoing this but furthering it the exposure provided to people who have not been in Melbourne at the time of when AFLW really hit hits the straps and there are games at local venues around the place so for instance, if you go to a Geelong AFLW game, you're at Cadinia Park at, mm. at home. And if you're at Sydney, you're either out um, at Blacktown or now you're at the SCG, but it hasn't been very accessible for those clubs before. So it just made it even more exciting, the fact that it opened up doors to people who just would not have been watching um, football at, at that standard at their local grounds, like walking past Vic Park on your way to the MCG like that it was such a cool buzz um and something I've personally been wanting to see more is I guess the men and women's games played together um we've spoken about the pros and cons of having you know for want of a better word that those curtain raiser games using the AFLW before the AFLM games and how much we we want you know them to be two different products but I think there is a way as we've seen this weekend to harness all of the excitement and the support that comes from AFLM to AFLW and expose all those little kids who, you know, rely on their parents to get to games to actually see AFLW in the flesh and not have to, you know, battle anyone to turn it on on the telly on a Saturday on seven mate, um, you know, just walk past it. So it was so cool and I, I really hope next year we we might see more of that um, AFLM and AFLW integration. Um, I really I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool and the clubs were getting around each other as well. You know, the Swans girls were at the game and mm. oh, just it was really exciting. And we saw Nemo and um, Meg Mack on the ground when Geelong won. That, you know, it's a it's a one club thing and, mm. and the, more, the more we can – you know, get supporters to understand that it is a one club thing just with a men's team and a women's team, then the the better it is, I think. Mm. Um, did you did you love it, Al? Yeah, I did. And I was also just thinking how cool it must be for the Geelong uh, AFLW players to be in uh, and around the club uh, leading up to AFLM Grand Final Day. Like there would have been like such a buzz, like not just at the club, but in Geelong um, and to kind of to now ride 
the rest of the wave <laughs> for the rest of their season. I just think it's really cool. You know, I we have talked a lot about, you know, the two seasons back-to-back and how demanding that's been on players. But in terms of finding the right time of year to play, I think around this time is definitely it. But, yeah, what do you think? I think it also allows the club to uh, keep that momentum going as well. I think it would be really hard from a club's perspective and even just a staffing point of view to have the seasons not overlap. It's, you know, you're doubling up on on people and, and roles and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for the men not to have, you know, turned off from their season to stay switched on and that, you know, footy's still happening and be involved at the club and vice versa. I think you're right, Al. I think we found a really sweet spot where um, the weather's okay and the hype is still there. Mm. And even when we're getting to the pointy end of AFLW is when the AFLM teams will be coming back for preseason training. So I just, I kind of, yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's a cool mm. crossover period of time. Agreed. And also... Congratulations to Geelong AFLM team for winning the grand final. And I I think I know why they won. And that is because Geelong, and these these are yours, Hibba. Um, <laughs> but I think it's because Geelong sent this AFL Life some pride merchandise. We got we, we received three pairs of socks last AFLW season. So I'm going to say to any AFL. M clubs out there, if you want to win the grand final next year, all you need to do is send us some pride merch. <laughs> that is to uh, at this AFL life. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, Al, and I think you could just keep them in their packaging there for me because um, that seems to be some good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will come and get those. Yes. They look comfy. <laughs> um, I also have a theory why Geelong – one as well mm. and it's because the women set them up for success on Thursday after an enormous Geelong record-breaking win against the Saints they had their biggest ever score yeah. in an AFLW level and Huge. they've just something has clicked and I a shout out to my cousin Eleanor who is a uh, long time this AFL life listener <laughs> and I received one text that just said, how about that glow up though? <laughs> They've yeah. done some shrewd recruiting though the last couple of years and to get some players like Parry, Shelley Scott, Chloe Shear, partner that with Nina Morrison coming back from injury, Georgie Prasparkas, they're looking really good across across the board. We like the Cats. We like the cats. Do you know what other cats we like? Tigers. Oh, (laughs) obviously huge, the biggest result of the weekend, but we might have a guest coming up later where we talk about that in a bit more detail, but what a win. Do you reckon that was the the upset of the season so far? A hundred percent. Yes, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. completely. It was a low-scoring game, but it was a ripper. Mm. I also have a question. Did Dakota Davidson need to play on? No, she chose to. She chose to, yeah. yeah. That, is, that was she bad. She marked. 
she marked it and that she was setting up. She saw the chance and oh, you replay that over a thousand times. Mm. Poor sod. Um, I also went to a game on the weekend. Um, on Friday evening, oh. I went to well late afternoon. I went to Sydney versus Hawthorne at mm. Punt, which was also at Punt Road. Um, I will again complain about the capacity at Punt Road. It was mm. a sellout, which is awesome, but it was only a few thousand people, if that, on half of a hill. Um, so just. Please, if you've got a good game, don't have it at Punt Road. Um, but it was a really, really good show um, of Sydney down in Melbourne. They had a lot of their supporters and it was Hawthorne's first win of the season. Mm-hmm. So, And first AFLW win, actually. Um, I think I forget because they've beaten us a couple of times in the VFLW. But um, <laughs> first... AFLW win, which was very exciting for them. And it came down to really the last 24 seconds of the game. So it was a really entertaining match um, for everyone. I I think I saw you in the crowd on the TV, Eva. Really? Mm. I was standing with our dear friends, Emma and Lucy Race and Kel Rowe. Kel, superstar. Yep. Okay. Well, it's very exciting. We've got a special guest on the pod this week. Richmond Football Club's culture and leadership mentor, Liz Quinn. Quinny, welcome to this AFL Life. Thanks very much for having me. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for this invite, by the way. Oh, sorry, it's, it's taken, taken so a few long. years, but anyway. So you and Caddy go back a fair way. Do you wanna do you wanna shed some light on that for us, Quinny? Well, um, what year was it? About 10 years ago, <laughs> roughly, give or take. No one's counting. Mm. Um, I played for the mighty Gungal and Jets up in Canberra. I was number one fullback uh, and I went away for a while. I think I might have moved mm. um, out, of the, out of the city. And when I came back, there was a new number one fullback in town. <laughs> which didn't please me much. New and improved, actually. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Um, <laughs> and that was our friend Susan Cadman. So um, that's how I met her. And um, we've been friends ever since. She occasionally calls me for tips on how to play football. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, but that Canberra connection is pretty strong. There's a few of us that are from Canberra who've stayed in touch, um, having played at the Gungal and Jets. Yep, I was waiting. I was waiting for the Jets reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's normally the Darabin show, but we do we do let the Jets get in there now and then. It's, it's the Jets show in Canberra, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a small show, a bit smaller. Yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit about your role at Richmond and and how that came about? Yeah. So, um, at the beginning of 2018, when Richmond was starting their first VFLW season, um. It was around about the time that the Defence Force, I'm in the Navy, the Defence Force was um, starting up a strategic arrangement with Richmond, um, a partnership there with some information sharing and some other things. Um, And part of that arrangement was uh, to provide um, some coaching experience for some of the ADF coaches. Um, And I was fortunate enough to be the first 
and actually only um, <laughs> uh, participant in that uh, uh, arrangement. And so I started as an assistant assistant coach, which <laughs> made the copies for the coaches, uh, in that first year of VFLW, um, working with all of the line coaches and the head coach, Tommy Hunter, at that point, um, just to develop my own coaching and gain some, some really great coaching experience. And uh, I did that for a couple of years. In fact, I, I was um, an assistant or, or vice assistant coach um, for all of their VFLW seasons. And then as AFLW was um, or Richmond's uh, entrance into AFLW was approaching, I had a good chat with Kate Sheehan, who's the head of women's football at Richmond, about um, some options for me to... Uh, be involved in the culture and leadership space uh, for the AFLW team. Um, and that had been a great passion of mine. I'd sort of started a program in the VFLW uh, side, trying to work with their or working with their leaders and um, sort of some of those pieces around how to develop good culture. And uh, so that just carried over into the AFLW program when it started. And you forgot to mention that you're actually a rubbish coach. So Yeah, so they were trying to find something for me to do. Um, kept making the copies, so that, that kept me around a bit. But uh, Yeah, no, it's definitely a passion piece of mine. I, I do love coaching. I still coach um, some teams, the ADF side and the Navy side. But, um, yeah, it's, it's this space in particular is something I'm really passionate about. Quinny? Without getting too deep into it, how do you create good culture at a at a club? Well, thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> I mean, you uh, don't have to tell us all of Richmond's secrets, but well, do. in my mind, culture is the output, right? So you don't set about creating culture; you set about determining what your values are and what the behaviours are that are associated with those values. Um, and if you're doing those right, you will end up with a culture that's reflective of those values. But um, you can't start at culture. That's what you end up with. And quite often, you know, when I go and visit clubs and teams who are seeking some advice or input or, or you know, I'm consulting to, um, they've got it the wrong way around and they're trying to, they're scrambling to find good culture. And when you really take it back to that sort of the the bones of it, and it's got to be organic to that team and those people and the context of that club as well, um, and being really clear in, you know, who you are when you're at your best and what does that look like and what are the behaviours associated with that. And when you do that, you end up with a good culture. So if I visit a team that doesn't have a great culture, the first thing I look at is, you know, I can observe them for a little while and tell them exactly what's important to them based on what I've seen. Um, and if there's uh, not a great culture, that becomes pretty apparent and often it's the behaviours that are setting up that culture. But it's it's all got to be, you know, as I said, it's got to be organic to the team and the context. Mm. So you got to work with that team to determine what's important to them what do they want to look like when they're at their best? 
Um, and with that in mind, what are the behaviours that get you there? And only when you maintain those standards and hold people to account for those behaviours do you end up with that good culture. And what happens when people don't buy in? Well, if they are not prepared to buy in after, um, you know, you got to work with people, you got to meet people where they're at as mm. well. Uh, and you got to, it's your responsibility to sell the story as well and give them something that they want to buy into. And if you're not doing that, um, or sorry, if you are doing that and they're not buying in, then maybe you got to look at making some changes uh, to your personnel because the culture of the team and, and the cohesion is more important than any one person. Mm. It is so defence force. <laughs> I love it. I love structure. I love guidelines. I love values. I love culture. Um, that's, But it's so insightful. Thank you. Because I think we we bang on a fair bit about, you know, what's going wrong in a team or what's going so right in a team. And at the end of the day, it always comes to that, the C word, doesn't it? Um, mm. When things are clicking, not cold. No, I'm just joking. It's cold. <laughs> um, but I think it's invaluable having your insights because you have many heavy hands lifting and creating that kind of thing at Richmond. So thanks. That's so cool. Well, it's it's everyone. You know, I mean, mm. I mm. just carry the title, but everyone's um, really invested in it. Certainly at our club, but it works best when everyone is invested and when it's not just something that you, you know, um, pay platitudes to. It's, it's like it's authentic and it's specific to us. We don't follow a blueprint. We don't look at what has worked for another team and make that happen at yeah. our club. We, um, we worked really hard to determine what it was that we wanted to be and what we wanted to look like and then worked hard equally on figuring out how to get there uh, a lot of times you know when I visit clubs you hear them refer to the Richmond of 2017 mm. and um, Conrad Marshall's book Yellow and Black you know became this sort of must read for coaches and administrators and it was like Richmond did this so we have to do it too and you know, they did this thing called the three H's and so we're going to do that and everybody share your backgrounds and your history. Be terrible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and when you try to do something that's not authentic, that's when people don't buy in because they see through that really quickly. But it's, yeah, you can't just follow someone else's blueprint. You've got to come up with what's authentic to you. But that happens quite a lot is, like, you know, Legacy is another great book, right, with the All Blacks. Sweep the sheds. Mm. Okay, mm. everyone, we've got, to, we've got to sweep out the change rooms and that will give us good culture. <laughs> yeah. Quite or anything by. anything that Bill Belichick's ever done at um At the Patriots. The Patriots. Exactly. Yeah, yep. that's exactly right. Do, Bill, do what Bill does. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you see it a lot. And, I mean, I can understand people are, are looking for, particularly in community clubs when, you know, there's no full-time staff, we've all got jobs and lives and, um, other things to juggle and, and you are looking for something that's ready-made that you can implement or adopt. Um, the problem is, again, when it's inauthentic, even though it might be well-meaning, um, it's harder for people to buy into because they can see through it. So I'm intrigued, Quinny, what does what does a, a week in, in footy look like to you? Do you, you know, like training and then game day? Uh, 
well, as we all do in women's sport, we wear many hats. Mm. Um, and so I wear a few hats at the club. Uh, but typically on a training night, I'll get there uh, relatively early just to be available um, to talk to players, uh, either in a mentoring capacity or a trusted advisor type capacity um, or a venting capacity, whatever it might be. <laughs> um, but I'll make myself available to players. Um, typically, we will have a leadership group meeting uh, at one training session during the week. And so myself, um, the head of football and the head coach meet with the leaders and debrief as well as look ahead. And then on the other training night during the week, uh, I'll, or every second training night, I will have a um, some Q time, QT with QD. And uh, we'll talk about, um, you know, it's a, it's a session where we might cover anything from teamwork or, uh you know followership or leadership or whatever it might be and then I'll have a rough program of topics that I want to talk about but a lot of it's um determined by whatever the team vibe might be at the mm. time and what mm. I, I think um they need to hear at any given time uh and then game day is I'm also the team manager on game day oh gosh so, <laughs> that is a stressful so, role <laughs> yes it is it it is, uh, and I switch from being um, their friend and mentor to doing bobby pin checks and telling them to lock their phones away two hours prior and, and things like that. But um, it's great. Game day is players' day, and it's really great to to be around and support the players to you know in whatever they need to be able to prepare and perform at their best. And then I'm on the bench, so I'm the interchange steward and board holder upperer. That is very, break. that's a very important role. And I mm-hmm. learned under mm-hmm. a certain coach at, uh, at Darabin, uh, VFLW, that there is a sp- specific time that you hold the board up and it's after the coach has given their key message, because if you hold it up too early, then players are not paying attention to the coach. It's a very, very important role. It is it's high pressure um I've got it wrong once and I'll never get it wrong again uh but yeah it's it's uh as I said it's high pressure but um it's it's really cool because you're right there with the players like I've got um a lot of really great relationships with players and so being the last person they see I guess before they run on um and uh and they're immediately when they run off is pretty cool I've got the best seats in the house to all of the games um and it's uh yeah it's pretty cool especially with the results like Sundays or Saturdays um it's really cool to be right there you know as the siren goes yeah amazing well that was going to be my my next question how was how was the vibe after the the win over Brisbane it was my vibe probably lingered a lot <laughs> longer than some of the players. was just telling me that she was on the bench like. <laughs> I'm, normally quite, I'm normally very composed on the bench. But there was one point in the fourth quarter, I think um, Jemima Woods did, laid a big tackle or something like that. Um, and I lost my composure uh, <laughs> and became full nuffy spectator. <laughs> which, you know, uh but um yeah no the the vibe was great and we 
we recognised it for what it was and what it was was a really significant uh, milestone for our club but also it was round five Mm. and so while we're absolutely pumped to have beat the team that we think um, is the premiership favourite and has been the benchmark, you know, probably um, since the start of AFL Women's, um, you know, along with Adelaide, to beat them was absolutely fantastic, but it was not the grand final. Mm. It was round five and we've got, we want to win round six and we want to win, win round seven and eight and and so on. So there's still a job to do. Mm. And that was really reflective, I thought, in the vibe of the players post-match was there was absolutely a time to celebrate. And you might have seen the rendition of the song in the rooms afterwards um, and it was great to have Peggy in there with us. Mm, that was awesome. Um, <clears throat> but more or less right after that it was okay into recovery, into what do we need need to do to get ourselves right um, mm. to focus on next week. I was going to say, what was the vibe playing on AFLM Grand Final Day at Pump Road? I was just thinking Richmond's and Fitzroy at Pump Road on Grand Final Day, I feel like that would have been very special and like a lot of nostalgia for people as well, just, to, just in general, and that it would have been an incredibly unique experience for the team to to be part of. Um, just seeing the streams of people walking yeah. and walking past, yeah. let alone the people watching the game. It yeah, it was it was pretty incredible. There was one point in at you know, I think it might have been the third quarter where the Sydney Swans chant was ringing out. And I was, <laughs> what the hell is this about? And then I realised I saw the people coming off the trains. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It it was it was really cool. Yeah. Uh it was really cool. The the thing that I would have loved is if Punt Road had greater capacity mm-hmm. and we could open the gates yeah, and yeah. that, you know, anyone going past could have popped in. Popped in and mm. checked it out and, and whatnot. But I understand why, um, you know, why that wasn't the case. But it was a really good vibe. The weather obviously was on mm. point. Um People just lovers of footy from everywhere were out and about. Um, the festival of footy in Yarra Park was heaving. It was just a really great day and really cool to be the only women's game on that day. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, that was really cool and really special. Um, the result helped, of course, <laughs> but um, but even so, I think um, potentially the Lions would would also agree that to be there on that day. It was really cool. Mm. Something else that was really significant about that win was doing it without Katie Brennan and Sarah Hosking. As someone that is a leadership and culture mentor, how important was that for the collective group, do you think? Oh, absolutely. Like, um, you know, one thing that we pride ourselves on is that we've got five appointed leaders, Mm. but we've got 30 situational leaders. So whilst our appointed leaders were not there on the day, um, we absolutely trust the rest of the group to um to lead in their moments. Like Mon Conti was mm. the, you know, the the captain on the day. 
Um, Beck Miller was also out on the weekend. She's mm. another member of our leadership group. So three yeah. members of our appointed leadership group weren't there on the field. Um, but Gab Seymour and, and uh, Mon Conti were. And one thing that we've done a lot of work on over the, the last um, four seasons is just people understanding that there are leaders in our team who might have titles, but there's also a whole bunch of leaders in our team that don't have titles. And so when it's your moment to lead, we absolutely trust that um, that you will lead, A, and B, that we have empowered you to feel like you can. So I heard it mentioned earlier in the week that, you know, we were, we were missing so much leadership from our group and I was almost got a little bit offended and I was mm. like, actually, we've got so much leadership in our group, um, people who we trust to lead in moments, people who've got great experience leading teams, people who've got great experience being a follower in teams, um, which is just as important in my mind. So um, whilst we were, we felt like, yeah, maybe we were missing some players who have impacted previously and, and Brennan and Hosking and Miller are massive names. Absolutely. Um, But we totally backed in the, the players who did play, not just to lead, uh, but also in their skill level and ability, and um, we did it. Mm. Yeah, bloody great win! My God, <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> it was alright. It was alright. Yeah, it's up there. So, how much do you love this AFL life? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. More of an obligation, I guess, or a community <laughs> service, I think. Community service. <laughs> it's one of those things where your friend's doing it, so you kind of like, oh, better tune in because if I catch up with her and if she asks me about it, I'd better know what to say. Better at least know what her co-hosts' names are or something. <laughs> yeah, but Caddy doesn't listen to the podcast, so. No, she's exactly. I heard that, yeah. yeah. I have no idea what actually is what goes out on the podcast, so, you know. Um, but no, I I um I know you listen because I often get texts. What the fuck did you say that for? <laughs> oh, you give me a hard time picking Fremantle. <laughs> I like full disclosure. My team is the best team, and there are no other teams that I will ever love as much as my team. So I take it personally when people tip against us, or when people don't talk about us, or um. You know, if we are overlooked, I'll take that personally because I think, how can you not love this team as much as I do? What's wrong with you? <laughs> there's um, a lot of teams. To, there's a lot of teams to um to remember now that they're 18. So um, that's true. Well, that's why we've given you target time tonight. Target time. I like it. We've target time. TT. Yeah. It's it's a real conflict because it's like. You guys, everyone should be talking about us. Like, have a look. How good are we? And then it's like, don't talk about us too much. So just keep a lid on it. Yeah. Give us some credit, but not too much credit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't want anyone to know. <laughs> um, who has um surprised you the most in terms of an athlete that you work with? Uh, apart from Caddy. <laughs> Yeah, no, but no one can reach no, these heights. No. I understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. who surprised me the most in um in what sense? Like, I guess 
just because there was a lot of kind of big name players and and stuff when mm. um Richmond came in um and sometimes yeah. players with a profile you know have an expectation around them and sometimes it, reality is very different was it was there anyone that really like surprised you in a good way obviously <laughs> um apart from them all mm-hmm. uh i think the Public perception is such a crazy thing. Like we were talking about some mm. other players tonight that that even I had a perception of that um, you know, is is not has not worked out to be entirely accurate. But I think, you know, people like Katie mm. is just so beautiful and authentic and and um a really genuinely caring uh person. Um, same with Mon. I think Gabby Seymour's professionalism blows me away all the time. Like talk about someone who came from another sport, learnt how to kick, mm. learnt what the game was all about, learnt the rules, and, you know, three short years later is saving games, <laughs> you know, uh, has the game sense to remain aware in key moments. Uh, and that just speaks to her absolute professionalism and, the way she has uh, been hungry to just be the best she can be and get the absolute most out of herself. Um, Becknell is exactly the same. Mm. Like those two just in terms of how they've gone about it, it has just blown me away. But then you get like, you know, you young people who the thing is with people that we're drafting these days, young people, they, they come to the AFL draft having been the best player in their team, having either been the captain or, you know, house captain at school or whatever it might be. They've been the big fish in their small pond uh, and they come to AFL women's and suddenly, like, you know, they may not get selected for a while. Um the plan might be just to build their bodies up for a year or whatever it might be, and there can be a real shock. And so I'm always just really pleasantly surprised by how resilient some of those people are and how quickly they can move on from, how can you not pick me? I've been the Mm. best player for 10 years. Um, To, okay, I've got a job to do and I I need to get better and I'm, I'm grateful to be part of this. Mm. kind of went a long way around with the mm. answer there but there there have been some individuals who just have blown me away um but but generally speaking i think um the young people being drafted are just mm. far more resilient and uh adaptive than i ever was i think i thought you were going to give a shout out to your mate chef then yeah um <laughs> okay so one thing you need to cut in is me going oh maddie Shevlin, absolutely <laughs> She, hasn't she come a long way from the gun garland desk? But that actually she actually has come a long way. But there are <coughs> this league is full of Maddie Shevlins, like in terms mm-hmm. of only one Maddie Shevlin. But um but young women who have been so determined to be successful and to get the best out of themselves and to perform consistently at a high level, having not come through AFL path, pathways or academies or you know high performance environments yet their determination and passion and drive has got them to where they are and I love stories like that because Mm -hmm. it's like you didn't 
you didn't get this given to you, not that anyone does, but you had to work really hard in a roundabout way for this and um, and it's so much more enjoyable when you see those players achieve those things. Yeah. I think one of the players I'm thoroughly enjoying watching come off that exact kind of success, Quinny, is Eilish Sheeran. Mm, um, yeah. Eilish. Uh, Eilish Sheeran. What a gun. Just, mm. oh, late 20s, does an ACL, manages to get back, gets drafted to Richmond and just turns up every single week. You're just like, oh, yeah, Sheeran's been there along, like, you know, for the last seven years. It almost seems like that, just mm. slotted in seamlessly. And I think it's a really interesting conversation um, where the young kids are getting developed and they do come in with a lot m- often a, a lot more game sense than once was. Um, however, with clubs only being able to offer one and two year contracts at the moment, it's really interesting that they're giving young kids a go uh, and overlooking some older people um, like Sheeran and some other people we've already spoken about on the pod. Um, and now those numbers are just going to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. We're not going to be seeing 28 and 29 year olds drafted anymore. Um, so I'm just really savoring the the older, mature players <laughs> coming in and tearing it up in their first five games. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting stage over the next few years when it's it'll just be really 18-year-olds coming through the ranks. So, mm. Yeah, I agree. And um, she's a gun for starters, isn't she? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Super human being oh as well. But, all, but talk about you know, talk about resilience and determination. Mm. <laughs> like she's nearly 40 or whatever she is. She's <laughs> an atheist, you know, she's been a train on, hasn't made hasn't made a list and then, you know, doesn't eat and, um, and now look at her. And, mm. you know, part of me thinks who else is out there? Like mm. what, what else are we yeah. missing? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's it's inevitable that most of the people picked up in the next, you know, few years. We've probably got another couple of years of this mm. um, where we're seeking sort of whether it's cross-coders or um, mature age uh, recruits or draftees. Um, but, you know, probably probably from three or four years on it will be young people. Mm. Mm. Um, but at the same time, like, I mean, you look at the mid-year draft in AFL men's and some of the absolute guns, like mm. when you're talking mature age in AFLMs, you're talking about 23, 24, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but it's it's the same sort of theory, right? And so there will still be a place, I think, for those players in AFL women's. Um, there'll be far fewer of them, unfortunately, but, um, but those opportunities will still exist because of, just exactly that what they give to your team and the life experience and the determination and courage and resilience that they've built up um through whatever journey it is that they've been through those things will still be important uh for a lot of teams and depending on you know how long women's stays at squads of 30 
for mm. example, you know, when when squads are increased, maybe that provides extra opportunities and more yeah. games will have to equal bigger squads. It has to, right? Mm. So, um, you know, uh, I still long for, you know, many years to come of finding the next Daily Sheeran. Yeah. Um, well, when when you need a twenty eight year old who's done three knees, but uh, <laughs> has a shitload of resilience, uh, mm-hmm. I'll just I'll message you my number. Um, Excellent. For for what role is that? Sorry. Yeah. Look, anything <laughs> on field, off okay. field, water person. You 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 just really? tell me where you need me yet. Well, board holder upper is already taken, but I'll, um, I'll keep in mind for other positions. Magnet. Well, Quinny, it's been an absolute joy to have you on the show hope we've uh exceeded expectations (laughs) or met them (laughs) so far but i'm worried about what's going to happen when i go Um, but you've held it together pretty well so yeah yeah yeah. and we promise to talk about richmond but not too much (laughs) not too much exactly because they are the best yes (laughs) well hiba caddy Thank you very much. It's been a very, very big show this week. Um, thank you yeah. both for your time. And Hiba, you're off to Europe this weekend. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just um, no biggie, but I'm getting on um, the longest international flight I've been on in seven years on Saturday for four weeks. And I'm more than excited. I just am crawling to the last hour of my work week. Um, but I did a practice pack on the weekend. Oh. So I'll have you know I am organised. I'm excited. And I will send you all of the snaps. I just need some AFLW merch to take with me to Italy, I think. Oh, I need to get you your Geelong Pride socks then. You do. <laughs> you do write them on over Al thank you <laughs> I still can't believe you do a do a practice pack here it's absolutely outrageous I don't normally do a practice pack however for the first trip in seven years I thought it was necessary to make sure that I had all of the things I needed okay um, I'll pay it yes thank you no judgment here Caddy. <laughs> I also realised that the 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 trips I have been on internationally, I have always gone to a developing country, or have been too poor to af- be able to afford to buy anything I might need. I.e., if I needed new t-shirts, or if I forgot my toothpaste, all of that kind of stuff, I was not either able to buy it or I couldn't afford to do so. So now is the first time of my life that I'm not going to a developing country and I can kind of afford to buy my own toothbrush if I forget it. So all in all, I hope you have a great month without me. Um, <laughs> go the pies, go the cats, go footy. I hope you have a wonderful October. We shall. Enjoy your trip, Hibba. Thanks, team. Can't wait to hear about it. I'll send you all the snaps. Great. And we'll see the rest of you next week. Bye. Bye.